Scripture reading will be from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 11 through 13. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Please be seated. Good morning, everyone. Nat, I took your advice. Not only did I sing, but I was happy in my singing. I'm happy always for the occasion that finds us here, and that occasion is coming together as we're commanded on the first day of the week to worship God, and isn't it wonderful that we have such a fine facility to do so? You know, oftentimes we pray that we're thankful that we're not persecuted or that we're not molested in any way. And I wonder if we really think about that. I know it's not that way in the world, and I never give it a thought. I drive up in this parking lot, and I start greeting and seeing people on the way in, but I never really think about someone stopping me from that. But perhaps in our lifetime we'll never have to see that. But certainly if history repeats itself, it won't always be that way, will it? So very happy to be with you today. Well, as a uh, conversation starter, How do you start conversations off with people you've never met, people you haven't seen and you'd like to know them? Oftentimes, I might do something like this. Hey, how are you doing? Where are you from? Where were you born? You know, we'll have people say, well, he's a Yankee, or he's a Southerner. Well, how do they know? Well, they know where they were born. We're always talking. It's it's an icebreaker sometimes to ask people, where are you from? Where were you born? You know, some of us are native Texans. We were born in this state. Some of us are transplants. We were born outside the state, and we we got here uh, by some other means. You know, uh, I think about some milestones that I've heard mentioned in my lifetime about people's birth and the things that it it brings on. Uh, One is um, um, one of my parents was born in the Depression, and the Depression was a milestone event. It was a stark poverty, and there wasn't a lot of money, and people were hubbing it and having a hard time, and was born there. Some maybe a little older can say, well, I was born, or my parents were born in the Roaring Twenties. And that was a time that it was our economy was roaring, and morality was, our immorality was roaring. And, and um, but we're divine sometimes, we're, uh, uh, we're put in certain categories sometimes because of where we're born. Some of us are called baby boomers. We're born and we're called baby boomers because of a time that we were uh, that we were born. Are the millenniums, millennials, those that are born in that time, and so that we're talking about different times of our birth and how that it's uh, it, it defines us sometimes in certain ways. Well, this morning we're going to talk about the birth of Christ. Well, first of all, you, the, I guess I should address the first thing that you notice. It's a little different. I'm not Jim Laws. Jim Laws called me yesterday afternoon, and he's sick, and I hear some of the others in here that are coughing, that are sickly, and there's a lot of stuff going around. As I caution the class this morning, I'll caution you too. Be cognizant of the fact there's a lot of germs. Shake hands, but use the Pirel, and, and watch, watch yourself, and just take care of yourself. A lot of people are taking preventative shots, flu shots, different things. 
So just be aware of this time of year that there are a lot of sick, and I know for a fact that we have some that are not with us today. Thus, that's why I'm here teaching and preaching today, which I find it a great pleasure to do so. We're talking about the birth of Christ is what we're talking about. I just used our, our own birth, all of us. I guarantee you when I ask that question or have thought about something, about where you were born, the town, the circumstances, some of you might have been born in home, some of you might have been born in a hospital, some of you might have come in a very natural way, some might have had to have the help of surgery to get here. But for whatever, we all have our own personal story of how we were born. But we're going to learn today about how Jesus was born. You know, is this time of year we see people start decorating their homes for the holiday season, and we see uh, we see different emblematic things to, uh, of Jesus' birth, and some of it follows tradition, some of it follows uh, just different things, and but oftentimes uh, it doesn't follow the Word of God. So we're going to look at the Word of God and get the facts, some facts about Jesus' birth, things that will dispel some of the things we might have heard, and maybe will uh, add to our knowledge some other the things that we didn't know about. Well, I can say this much. Let's talk about uh, the timing of when he was born because it deals with that. He was born under Roman occupation. And uh, he was born a Jew in Judaism and born in the uh, city or the uh, country of Israel. But it was under a foreign, uh, under a foreign um, occupation, that being Rome. It was ruled on a, a national level by a king that was not a Jew in, uh, in, a, in the way of a practicing Jew, and he was King Herod. And King Herod had, uh, had built his palace there at Caesarea, and he had built the temple, and there would be a whole string of Herods after him that would rule, and so that was going on. The kingdom that was uh, of Israel was known as a client kingdom at the time because of the rule of, of um, Rome. And religiously, and that's how the, uh, from the book of uh, Exodus on, that, that the Jews had been followed religiously, how they'd served God, it was religiously divided at the time that Jesus came. There were a lot of sects of Judaism. It was divided. And that was the atmosphere in which he was born in. But I will say this much, and we, I think this, we're amiss to this sometime when we read the Bible. It was highly anticipated in his lifetime. You know, a lot of times they'll say, well, he was a legend in his own lifetime, or he was a legend, he became a a great legendary figure after his lifetime. During Jesus' lifetime, at the time of his birth, the birth of the Messiah, the promised one, was highly anticipated. Jesus would say in Matthew 13 and 17, speaking to his uh, disciples there, many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you're seeing today, and they didn't. They lived their life with the desire to see this... uh, Redemption of Israel, the reclamation of Israel, the great Messiah to be born, the promised one, a prophet of Deuteronomy 18. They desired and longed for it, but alas, they lived and died their life without it coming about. And he said, many have lived and died that wanted to see this, but you're being blessed to be able to see this. In Luke 2.26, we see a man named Simon, and it was revealed to him in his lifetime that he would see the Messiah before he died. So it was highly anticipated. The time was drawing near, and it was very expected that the restoration of Israel that was spoken of in the book of Ezekiel would come about shortly and soon. And so we read some New Testament scriptures that point out this was that time. In Galatians 4, 4 through 5, it says, But when the fullness of of, uh, the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, 
born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that they might receive the adoption as sons. So this is that time, and I want us to truly understand the significance of it. We talked this morning in, at the close of class. I suppose, and I, I do, I suppose this is the most important thing that ever happened on earth, and that was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because that's what we're all, we want to be resurrected like him. That spirit that was within him that raised him, Romans 8, will raise us too if we have that spirit. And so that's the, that's the thing that we anticipate the most, the resurrection. And it proved that uh, he, he bound the strong man. He prevailed over Satan. He prevailed over the grave. He, he took the sting out of death with the resurrection. And that's what we firmly await for, too. But this brought this about, too, without the uh, resurrection. I mean, without his birth, there couldn't be a resurrection. So this morning, we're going to be looking at the birth of Jesus Christ, some facts about it. Well, there's some timing references there. A lot of people would like to know, when, did, when was Jesus born? What day was Jesus born on? What month was he born on? How old was Jesus when he lived and died? We don't really know, do we? It's hard to, uh, there's some timing uh, references in the Bible, and I'll let you do the math on each one. You can look at it, and due to the resources we have in our hands today, we can all find out dates. But there is a Jewish time frame, It'll be uh, spoken of and we'll look at in Matthew. There's a Roman time frame that we'll look at that we'll find in Luke. And then there's a regional timing of uh, events that indicate of the, indicating of this time too. Well, this is how we can get to the game real quick on the how it came about. Extraordinary, supernatural. Jesus' birth was not natural like yours and mine. It didn't come, it didn't come across in the, in the natural way as you and I were born. And we'll see these. The why that Jesus was born, that's answer too. It's a fulfillment of prophecy of old, the blessing, and it would be the blessing and the uh, greatest thing that ever happened in this world. The where, we find out where Jesus was born to, the geographical location of Bethlehem and the significance of that city, Bethlehem, him being born there. We're going to read about these uh, inspired narratives. We'll, find, we'll read, them about, read about them in Matthew and in the, book, the Gospel of Luke. Uh, they bring the life, the conception, and the birth of uh, Jesus Christ. And keep this in mind, the conception and birth, the virgin birth, and the Holy Spirit uh, conception is a fundamental that we believe in in Christianity. Without it, it would not be Christianity. And this is, uh, but there's something odd. I don't know if you're aware of this. If you're not, it'll enrich your uh, thinking today. But... The Bible tells the story of the birth of Jesus in these two Gospels, Matthew and Luke, the first and second chapters of each book. But one is told in the perspective of Joseph, the things he experienced, the reactions that he had to it. And uh, you see it from, uh, from uh, this, uh, this father's standpoint, this betrothed to uh, Jesus' mother. And then in the book of Luke, we're going to see it from the perspective of Mary, her perspective of the conception and birth of Jesus. And I think it enriches our thinking when we can see, and uh, women, you're going to get to see what that uh, miraculous conception and that uh, uh, birth, what it was like from a mother's standpoint, a young mother's standpoint. Fathers, you're going to get to see what it's like from a father's standpoint to have uh, and experience this birth of a son, promised of the Holy Spirit. So these are things I'm looking forward to seeing in the next few minutes as we study these uh, study each account. We're going to hear some things. This is a 
very miraculous thing that goes on in the Bible. It's one of the things where there's probably a lot more going on than we really realize is going on at the birth of Jesus. First of all, we're going to see where angels intervene with mankind. And that's, uh, that's intriguing to us all, isn't it? where man inter- interacts with an angel. And then we're going to see a d- divine meetings with God, divine meetings with those angels too, divine visions that God are given through uh, dreams. We're going to uh, experience, we'll, we'll see their experience in fear and in jubilation, joy and resentment. We're going to learn of wise men and shepherds. And then we'll see stark poverty and fabulous riches. Persecution and peace, prophecies fulfilled. In essence, what we're fixing to study is the greatest story ever told. So I guess we'll start with, uh, I have it down in my notes with Joseph, but I think the best way to do it chronologically, let's start with Mary. Turn with me to, uh, to Luke chapter 1. In Luke chapter 1, we'll just start in, uh, we'll just start in verse 26. So Gabriel was sent, Gabriel an archangel from God. Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you, blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Not to be afraid, Mary. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and he shall be called by uh, his name shall be called Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And then in verse 38, it says, that. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be. To me, according to your word, and the angel departed from her. I want to read a little more in that chapter, but I want to point out a few things, starting back in uh, in verse twenty-seven. When we when we get to Matthew, we'll see shortly that it starts off with Joseph, with the knowledge that he knows she's with child, and he's upset about it. We'll look at that. But this is prior to her becoming uh, with child, prior to the uh, conception. And it's told that, that this great thing's going to happen to her, that you're going to have the Son of God will be born within you. And uh, it, it tells her how great that is going to be, that he will be the, uh, son on the, the son of the highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of David. He will be that messianic uh, Christ that was promised from old. And in verse 29, we see that she is, and this shouldn't, shouldn't surprise any of us, she's shocked. And she's amazed. And she's also fearful about it. How would you be, ladies, if you were told something? A young woman, never been with a man, uh, engaged, and to be fi- and only to find out that God has chosen you to bring, a, uh, bring the Son of God into the, into the world. And um, 
it says in verse 30 that she found favor with God. I, I kind of talked about that a little bit this morning. I wish I knew more about that. I don't know if it was her disposition, uh, sweet nature about her. Uh, God knows all things, and, and uh, but he... But he's in in this woman. He found great favor with her, and that and uh, she pleased God to be the one to to bring his son about. She tell, he also she's instructed on his name, giving the name Jesus. In verse thirty four, she does what we naturally do. We always naturally do this. We seem how is this possible in the world that I live in? And she already immediately comes up with the impossibility. How can this be? Because I've never been with a man. That would be the natural process of a birth, wouldn't it? To a man and a woman come together, and that's how we'd say. But he lets her know that it's not going to be by a natural process. It's going to be a supernatural process. She'll be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit, and the Son will come about that way. She's confused, she's scared, but she takes the advice, and she finally says what? However you uh, uh, behold, verse 38, I'm your maidservant. I'm I'm here for your uh, bidding. And uh, let it be according to your word, and the angel depart from her. She was so overwhelmed by gratitude and so overwhelmed by the awesomeness of this responsibility and great joy that she's going to bring in the Messiah, the Son of God, that we read these things about her. Mary said, and we'll read this from verse 46 through 55. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of, my, of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercies is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arms. He has scattered the proud and the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. For he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he has spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. So she remembers all the promises that God's made to her ancestry and how that these are the fulfillment of it through Christ, how he is going to bless the earth and the world through this son's birth, and uh, as he promised Abraham in Genesis 17 that his seed would be blessed forever, and the fulfillment of it is in this boy, this young child, this baby, Jesus. Well, that's Mary's experience, how this thing came about. An angel appeared to her, told her these things were coming. She was fearful. She was shocked. She was amazed. She accepted it, and then she praised God for it. Now let's go to Matthew Chapter one, and keep uh, keep something there. In Luke uh, Luke one and in uh, chapter two, we will be coming back. But I want to look at these early experiences of the knowledge that Jesus was going to be born, and how it came about. Okay, in Matthew chapter one, this is Joseph's perspective of, of what what went on, and it starts in verse seventeen. Remember in uh, in what we say in Luke, it said, let's go back to Luke just for a minute. It says. Uh, yeah, that Mary was in Galilee, and she was in the town of Galilee, Nazareth, and an angel came and appeared to her. There's the timing and the set for that. And uh, when we get to Matthew, there's a little, uh, there's a precursor going into it, and it's found in verse 17. 
So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14. There's 14 generations. I've got my hands up. From David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations. There's the second dispensation of 14 generations. And from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are 14 generations. So milestone events are placed to Abraham being chosen of God to come out of Mesopotamia and, and go into a land that I'll show you. That was a pivotal point in history, the Jewish history, a momentous time, and it's marked. Fourteen generations later, a king was born, David, and Christ would sit on his king, on his throne, the throne of David, of the tribe of Judah. Very momentous and, and, and a uh, milestone event. And then when the children of Israel, because of their sin, were taken away into captivity in uh, Babylon, that event is pointed out. And so there's three generations of 14. So 14 times 3 is um, 32. 32 generations have passed, and now the coming of Christ. Okay? So verse 18 says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, and before they came together, she was found with child from the Holy Spirit. So there's three things you can find out in that verse. She became with child from the Holy Spirit. When? Well, in verse 18, we have three, three uh, 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 times pointed out. It came about after she was engaged. She was already engaged to Joseph when this came about. Uh, before any marital relationships or contact had happened, though, that's when it came about. And during this time, she was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put away secretly. It says a lot about Joseph. I want to point out some things there. He was a just man. He was a good man. He probably, as any man would have been in that day and under these circumstances, he was no doubt confused. Uh, the logical part of his mind would tell him what? I mean, no way around it. What would it tell him? that there was something that bad had gone on. Mary may have not been the woman that he thought she had been because this has happened. Well, logically, that's the only answer there would have been, but this isn't dealing with logic, is it? It's dealing with the supernatural. And uh, as he thought about it, it was a bad situation socially. It was a bad situation. What had he been contemplating doing? What was he thinking? That he'd put her away, that he would put her away. But he, he noticed it's not out of malice, not out of uh, anger, not out of wrath, because it already said about him what? That he was a good man and a just man, but that he had privately meditated on these things to do that, put her away secretly. But while he thought, verse 20, about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which she's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So he tells him, he says, go with this. This is a good thing, Joseph. And he remind, reminds him of something, too. And that is that he is Joseph, the son of David. This is, was a messianic term. He was in the line of uh, Christ, that Christ would come through that tribal uh, uh, people of Judah. And he's one of those. And he says that she's conceived of the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, she'll bring forth a son. And once again, he told them what, what he wanted him named, name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that might be fulfilled, which is spoken by the Lord and the prophet saying. And he quotes from Isaiah 7 in verse 14 here, something that uh, no doubt Joseph and Mary both would have been familiar with. Remember I told you this was a 
highly anticipated event throughout all Israel that the Messiah would be born shortly. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, remember his came in the form of what? A dream. Did as the angel had the Lord had commanded and took him his wife. And it tells you one other thing about him too. He left her like, like she was chaste in this. It says that, that he did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. So he did exactly what the dream and the angel in the dream had uh, asked him to do, was to stay with Mary, be betrothed to her. A son was going to be born, a son of promise, a son to fulfill the scriptures that were written of the Messiah, and that he was to be a father to this young man. And he did exactly what the Bible said. Now let's go back to Mary. Let's go back to that experience. Go back with me to Luke 2. And we'll see. Now keep in mind, if ladies, if an angel had appeared to you and told you all these things that were going to happen and you, and, and you accepted it and you praised that, uh, that, uh, that vision that you had, and then your husband finds out, your betrothed husband finds out that you're, that you're with child and he wants to put you away. Do you think, let's use our logical mind here. Do you think you might have discussed those things with him? And so wait a minute, it's not what you think. Let me tell you what, it, what really happened. So we start seeing that bonding. She's telling him what happened. And uh, he can choose to believe it or not. But we see that he does. After his vision, he goes with it. But I'm sure there's some communication going on between the two of them. Because they're going to raise this child, aren't they? All right, so we get to verse uh, chapter 2 of Luke. And uh, let me get there. And we see, once again, another aspect from Mary's standpoint. She tells about when it happened from her standpoint and the things that she witnessed during this birth of Jesus. And it's different than what we're going to read in Matthew. In chapter 2, verse 1, it says, It came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesarea, I mean from Caesar Augusta, that the world should be registered. So there is your, uh, there's a, a worldview of it. It was when uh, the Caesar, and what Caesar? Caesar Augusta. Caesar of who? Caesar the, uh, the supreme leader of Rome. He put out that all would all the subjects would be registered. They would be called in for a census. We still have census today, don't we? Know how many people are in our country and in the world? And this first census took place uh, while uh, uh, Curnius, uh, Curnius was governing Syria. So there's another time frame there that this man was the governor of Damascus. That's this was its debut. This is when this first census was taken. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. When it says its own city there, each tribe, there were 12 tribes of Israel, each tribe, each tribe of Israel had a region, and each region had a capital city. Texas is a state, but the capital is uh, Austin. And each state has a capital, and so it was like that. The uh, region was Judea. The capital city of Judea, for that reasoning, for census, was Bethlehem. So he went back to his own city, Joseph also, verse 4, went up to, uh, from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because it was the house and lineage of David. We've already seen a scripture where he was of that lineage of David, and he's got his betrothed wife with him. She's heavily, heavily um, uh, in turn with her child. It, it, the, her child is to be born very shortly. 
And so he went, uh, she went with him to be registered, verse 5, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. So she was a short-timer when she left, and now that she's there, the time of her birth is, uh, is uh, imminent. And so she brought forth, uh, brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the, uh, in the inn. Well, I looked up swaddling clothes. One thing I think we can have a pretty good description, it was square. Just look at this screen, it's square. Think about a piece of cloth that's square. And on the right-hand corner up there, it had a, a tassel that ran at an at a angle. And so what that is, is if you'll just think about the practical, you lay the baby in a square blanket and then wrap him, and then you have this long tail of, of cloth that you could bind him with. Once you, you see little babies, they're pretty bound up in you know, little newborns. You see them where they keep them warm. Square piece of uh, cloth that wrapped the baby, then it had a cord sewed onto it that you could wrap the baby to bind him in there. That was called swaddling clothes. You know, we look today on, um, I see it on, on Facebook and any kind of social media. Uh, it's kind of a, social, a socialistic thing. All babies now are wrapped in these blankets and they're green. You know the color? They're green and white. And that seems to be pretty universal too. All babies are in the same color and you see it from the hospital. Swaddling clothing was, a, was for a newborn. Now, the only thing I would say about this it makes me think. I don't know the answer to it. But it's going to be a sign for the shepherds. That will be one of their signs to denote the baby you're looking for will be in a manger, which I know that's unusual, but he'll be wearing swaddling clothes. So I, I think this was a common, uh, a common uh, cloth to wrap a newborn baby in, but it was also a significant sign to the shepherd that this would be the Christ child, that he would be in swaddling clothes. So... With that, we'll go on. Okay, so uh, she brought, uh, brought him forth, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger because there was no room in the inn. Heard many sermons on that. I'm sure you have. But uh, it, it, it's, I think it suffice to say that there were so many people there because of the census. Uh, these people did not have a lot of money, as we see in Luke later on. They offered two pigeons, which was the, about the lowest thing you could offer in, in the ceremony of uh of their child, they were they were a young couple. They didn't have a lot of money, and so they probably ended up staying in a, in a in a lean to or a side uh, a side addition to a house there. And Jesus was laid in a trough. I've seen babies put in chest of drawers, haven't you? A drawer you pull it out, and a child will fit in there perfectly. It was something like this. This was compatible. Had a trough. He, he probably couldn't get out of it. It was a good a good spot to put the baby while the mother rests. And there she laid him after he was born. Now, there were in the same uh, country shepherds living out in the fields, watching over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all the people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be the sign of you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Then suddenly there was an angel with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God the highest, and on earth goodwill toward men. So it was that the angels had gone away from them into heaven. 
that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see these things that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And then they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph with the baby lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they were made widely known the saying which was told concerning the child. And all those who heard it marveled at these things which were told to them by the shepherds. And lastly, let me say this, and then we'll touch on this a moment. And Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. So her experience recorded here in Luke was that there were... um, that there were these shepherds that came. They were out shepherding their sheep, and a great angelic host had appeared to them, and they told them the most wonderful news that there was. The Messiah, the promised of old, that child that had been highly anticipated, it's come. And you'll find him. He'll be in a trough. He'll be in a manger, and he'll be wrapped in swaddling clothes, and these will be the signs for it. So he goes, and he sees this, he sees this child. The, these shepherds do. They go, and they see this child. And uh, all these things are told, and this is the perspective and memory of Mary, and it says in verse 19 that she never forgot these things. Now let's go back to Matthew, and we'll look at the last aspect of it from Joseph's standpoint. And when we get to Matthew, let me get there, go back to Matthew 2. And we'll look in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. We've looked at, they're called magi, they're called astrologists. They read the stars, and they've come to Jerusalem because they've seen his star. Saying, where is he who has been born king of Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and they've come to worship him. So they have... Uh, I wish we knew more about these people, what they had anticipated, how long they had been waiting for this, what their knowledge of this is. I don't know, but they've come to Jerusalem, the place of worship for the Jews, and they said they've seen his star and they've come, and their purpose of coming is to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes and people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for well, thus it is written by the prophet. And they quote Micah there, uh, but you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are not least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come the ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So we see that the, there was knowledge of where the, before he was ever born, where he would be born. It was known in scripture. Like I said, it was anticipated. And uh, Herod, who is not a uh, good guy at all, He's not a, a worshiper of the Jewish faith. He, he checks with those that are and finds out what city that he would be born in. And then in verse 7, we see that he secretly calls these magi in. And he has a ruse. He wants, them to, to, uh, he wants to use them for his bidding. He wants to know about this king. He wants to be known about this boy where he's going to be born. For the purpose of what? Taking his life. Killing him. He rejects him. As the scripture we read this morning, he came unto his own, and his own did what? It rejected him. And so he sent them to Bethlehem. Who? The Magi, these uh, wise men. He sends them to Bethlehem to search out for the child. And when you found him, bring me back word where I can go and worship him. And of course, that was not his intention. And when they heard the king, they departed. Behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, and they came and stood over the young child. You get the impression that they re... uh, uh, reconnected with the star, and the star led him to the exact location of the child. 
And when they saw the star, verse 10, they greatly rejoiced. I think about in Revelation, where at the end of Revelation, where Jesus says, I'm the bright and shining morning star, isn't he? And we find that in Revelation 22, 16. Uh, when they'd come into the house, they saw the young child and Mary his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented him with uh, gold, frankincense, uh, frankincense, gold, and myrrh. And so we get the idea there were three of them, usually because of the three gifts, but of course we don't know. They're, I'm going to have to hasten. They were warned not to return to Herod, which they didn't. And when they departed, an angel of the Lord told Joseph in a dream to take the child to Egypt and depart from him, uh, depart from there because Herod was seeking the child to destroy him. And I'm going to kind of wind up the story of Jesus right there because that's as far as I want to go really was his birth. There's other things we can talk about him as a young boy. But for the purpose of the story this morning, I'm going to end there on his birth. We know that uh, many things, we've seen many things that came about because of it. We looked at Jesus' birth according to Scripture. Uh, Mark and John do not give the, this narrative of his birth, but they begin with his, uh, with his uh, ministry. We looked in John uh, 1, 11 through 13. Jerry read of uh, today. He came at his own, but his own uh, did not receive him. But as many as they did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. And to those who believe in his name, uh, who were born not of blood, it said, not by the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That's my question this morning as we wrap this lesson up. Have you been born by the will of God? You know, John 3, 5, Jesus told Nicodemus that a man must be born of the water and of the Spirit, or he'll no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. Have you been born of the water and the Spirit? In John 4, 4, to the Samaritan woman there at Jacob's well, he told her that after their discussion of where is the most proper place to worship, he said, we need to worship God in spirit because God is spirit. He's not flesh, is he? We have to be born of the Spirit and we know that we can be born of the Spirit by confessing Christ's name to repent of our sins and as Romans 6 says, put him on in baptism. Die to our sins, live to him, and walk, and be raised up out of that water and walk in the newness of life. People, I know these stories sometimes because of what we see on the side of the road and we see in window seals and stuff, it, it has a maybe a cartoon effect or some uh, happy thought. And there is a happy thought that Christ was born. But it was real. He was born in a time of uh, hardship and a time of tragedy. He was born under scrutiny, born under uh, the scoffing of what would be smart, intelligent men. And God used all these things to bring his purpose about. And that is to reclaim us back to him, to redeem us of our sins. Christ came to forgive us our sins, and we can uh, have that contact with him if we obey. This is the story of Jesus. I hope it's been something uh, that's been interest to us. I hope it's something that we can uh, dwell on and take encouragement from it. If you're subject this morning to the gospel, if you need any help or prayers of the church, come forward as together we stand and sing.